All right. Good morning, Dr. Randall Gates, board-certified chiropractic neurologist, also a chiropractic physician at Gatesway to Health in Henderson, Nevada. And today we're talking about infertility and polycystic ovarian syndrome. So if you're a sufferer with PCOS, as it's termed, you're having fertility issues maybe and you haven't been told what's going on, today's broadcast will probably be a benefit to you, probably be interesting. And in these broadcasts that we're doing, we're trying to bring awareness and more knowledge to patients, especially on these topics that patients kind of feel brushed to the side about. Maybe they feel that they're getting some management strategies, but maybe uh, in my experience, all the solutions are not there for a lot of the patients. So we're talking about these conditions in more depth so that there's a greater detailed appreciation of what's happening with someone's body when they have something like fibromyalgia thyroid disorders, and today we're talking about polycystic ovarian syndrome. Now, last week I did talk about the thyroid and infertility. I'll go back into that today. But getting into kind of my story, how I got into this, um, I was treating patients with neurological disease, and I realized that a lot of them have autoimmune problems, which is where their immune system attacks their own body. And so that has to be remediated. That has to be addressed. And we're finding that a lot of these autoimmune issues stem from imbalances in the gastrointestinal tract. So think like your intestines, where there might be food reactions that are creating inflammation throughout one's body or imbalances in the bacteria in the gut. You have more bacteria in your gut than you have cells in your body. And these bacteria produce byproducts that can heavily influence a variety of human functions, including brain function, as well as affecting blood sugar regulation. So throughout that, my journey, uh, I started treating some patients with thyroid issues and then managing some polycystic ovarian syndrome patients. And delving into the research, it's really, really interesting how PCOS has such strong connections to our diet, strong connections to inflammation. And many PCOS sufferers out there are very, very frustrated. Lots of times they feel that they're not heard. They may feel that they're kind of brushed to the side. Their doctors don't understand them. Or they're told, okay, take this medication, take that medication. And they just feel that it's a Band-Aid. These are the ones coming into me. Uh, clearly, there are PCOS patients who, you know, you're, they're taking the medications and they're happy and they're able to conceive. But I see a the patients where that doesn't occur. And even that's well documented in the literature that a lot of PCOS patients are pretty, pretty frustrated. So what is PCOS? PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, really refers to there being cysts on the ovaries. Now, in order to diagnose it, though, uh, it's based on two out of the three following criteria. It's called the Rotterdam criteria, where if an individual, which in this case is a female, if she has abnormal menstrual cycle lengths, that's one criteria. Number two is high levels of testosterone on blood test or signs thereof clinically, like if you're growing excessive hair on your face or your chest and you're having to get it waxed, you're having to go to laser hair removal, that fulfills that criteria. Number three is cysts on the ovaries. But you really only have to have two out of those three criteria so a lot of women may not even have cysts on their ovaries, but they have the other two. And so they fulfill the criteria for having polycystic ovarian syndrome. Why is that important? Because 20% of females have PCOS, 20%. So one in five females have this condition. It's so incredibly common and it's heartbreaking because of the, the elements of the condition and its implications on fertility in essence, that's that's the main thing. So one of my greatest uh, uh, 
feeling, so to speak, in doing this type of work is working with a PCOS patient and helping them to get pregnant. That's really, I don't know if there's anything more rewarding and doing it from a natural perspective is pretty fun. But PCOS is, uh, is emotionally hard for a lot of patients because lots of times there's weight gain that's associated with it. There's frustration about weight. I see so many PCOS patients who are, you know, limiting their calories. They're working out and they're not able to lose the weight. And everybody is telling them, well, you just need to exercise. You need to diet. You know, everybody's looking at them as though they're having five donuts a day and they're not. But once these inflammatory cycles get going in the body, and once the body starts storing the weight, it becomes really a lot more difficult for the PCOS patient to start turning that around, doing what's recommended in our mainstream society. So that's where we have to dig a little deeper. We have to have more of an understanding about what's going on. And the, today's broadcast will also be talking about thin PCOS patients because that's a whole other group. And lots of times PCOS patients who are thin are confused because they'll read online. It's usually associated with prediabetes, insulin resistance, and the person saying, well, I work out. You know, I'm really healthy. And how can I have this condition? And we'll go into that and how other elements of physiology can really be disrupted. So lots of times... PCOS patients want to know, okay, well, what's the medical model? Or maybe you're familiar with it. The most common first-line approach is for an OBGYN to give a PCOS patient a drug like metformin, which helps to reduce blood sugar imbalances or actose is the new one that's being used. Maybe you've been per prescribed oral contraceptive pills, your birth control, as you would know it, or a drug like Femara, which is uh, letrozole. And those drugs can help to balance your hormones. There are many hormone imbalances associated with PCOS, as we'll talk about. You're probably aware of it. High testosterone levels. Clearly, estrogen levels can be high relative to progesterone ratios. So that's where these birth control pills can help. And then for fertility issues, usually a, a PCOS patient is going to be prescribed Clomid, which is known as Clomiphene, or now they're going to be prescribed Femara. And that's kind of the mainline treatment for the PCOS patient. And relative to the fertility issue, PCOS is the most common cause of infertility. So for those suffering with this, basically they need to make sure that if you have infertility, you need to see if you have PCOS or if you have Hashimoto's thyroiditis. But going deeper, so in talking about the underlying mechanisms of PCOS, I want to get into insulin resistance. Now, insulin resistance refers to when we eat carbohydrates, you break those carbohydrates down into sugar, and the sugar then is absorbed into the bloodstream. And when the sugar is in the bloodstream, then we have to secrete insulin from the pancreas, and pancreas takes the sugar into the cells of our body. What we're finding is that in many conditions, and really it's pretty prevalent in American society, is as we gain weight, if you're overweight or especially once you're obese, then you have a probability of increasing your insulin for a given amount of carbohydrates. This is really important. Think of it this way. Bodybuilders take insulin. Professional athletes take insulin to put on muscle because it's, a, it's an anabolic hormone, as they term it. So it helps us to grow. But if you're not working out, you know, four hours a day, there's an increased probability that the insulin resistance is going to cause you to gain basically fat. And that's why it's so important as it pertains to polycystic ovarian syndrome. Now, the question becomes, why do we have so much insulin resistance in our society? Is it our food supply? Is it our lifestyle habits? Is it all the processed foods? Processed foods clearly have an association with literature. Uh, a lot of the studies look at high fat, high carbohydrate diets. 
and what that does to our body. And there may be a conditioning response. When you learn human physiology, you really see that humans are meant to starve. We're meant to be in a starvation state. That's how our physiology is designed because humans starve for a long period of time. So we have to be able to get through those periods to then go ahead and eat a meal. Whereas in today's society, um, you know, yeah, clearly we have a, a food problem. One out of five people, I think, uh, are dependent on subsidies for food. But in large part, Americans are in a well-fed state. We're eating high-calorie, high-fat, high-carbohydrate diets that then facilitate this insulin resistance through time. So it's like human physiology just will eventually break down. And once it breaks down, that's the problem. Then we have the snowball rolling. And that's where it's so hard for PCOS patients to start turning it around. So what happens with insulin resistance is that the new associations are finding that it's stemming from the gastrointestinal tract. So I talked about gut bacteria and think of it this way. Think of a, if you close your eyes, folks, think of a, a field with a bunch of dandelion flowers and then imagine the breeze blowing and you see the dandelion flowers blowing off. That's the analogy for pieces of bacteria floating into the bloodstream from the gastrointestinal tract. It's called subclinical endotoxemia. It's unequivocally associated with blood sugar disorders, things like prediabetes, diabetes. And it's a big deal in my experience as it pertains to PCOS. And so what happens is these pieces of bacteria float in and they actually block how insulin binds to your cells. So now that's one reason why you have to make more and more and more insulin when you're eating carbohydrates. So you're thinking, okay, I'm eating a healthy breakfast. I'm having some oatmeal, for example. That's healthy, right? And maybe I'm having a couple eggs. And when you eat that oatmeal, you're going to have to make insulin because of that. But in this situation, you're going to make more and more insulin for that given concentration of carbohydrate in the oatmeal. And that's what confuses a lot of PCOS sufferers. I even talk to a lot of PCOS sufferers who are, you know, I'm paleo, I'm eating hardly any carbs, or I'm ketogenic, and I still can't lose weight. And the reason being is that of this insulin-resistant mechanism that traces back to a gut bacterial mechanism. What can I do about it? We'll be talking about that coming up as we go through the broadcast, different alternatives you can do for this issue. So that's the framework you need to understand for PCOS as it relates to insulin resistance. Uh, very, very important associations. We're going to get into this a little deeper as well as talking about stress in the next segment. Um, go ahead and give us a call, 702-733-5968 if you have any questions. Also, we're doing one more uh, free seminar today at Gateway to Health in Henderson for fibromyalgia at 10 a.m. Also, you can call us 833-DR-GATES, 833-DR-G-A-T-E-S for a free consultation. All right, thank you. We're back. Dr. Randall Gates, board-certified chiropractic neurologist, also a chiropractic physician at Gateway to Health in Henderson, Nevada. Today we're talking about polycystic ovarian syndrome, what it means to you if you have PCOS or if you have a loved one with PCOS, have that exact same experience. It's, not, it's almost like you really have to shock the body. You have to shock the body sometimes with these supplements, sometimes with diet. I use fasting procedures with different patients who have PCOS with a fair degree of success, actually, because, again, we got to get the body into that fasting state. And so that's absolutely necessary to really start changing the insulin resistance, trying to peel the onion, so to speak, and getting the body out of this constant uh, perpetual physiological cycle of making too much insulin. 
So I'll talk about that more, Kathy, as we go through this. I'll start to hammer into this. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for the question. So what happens with insulin resistance is that that's step number one with PCOS. Now, step number two is then we get the elevated levels of testosterone, as many of you know. So if you're having facial hair, if you're having back or chest hair that you're having to get waxed or laser hair removal, this testosterone most commonly seems to be coming from the ovaries. Now, the ovaries make a variety of hormones. There should be ratios of hormones that are correct, but in PCOS, uh, the ovaries start to make too much testosterone. And what the researchers are finding, they've done detailed studies with this, where they can actually induce insulin resistance with different drugs, and they'll look at the production of testosterone from the ovaries. They see that it goes up, and then they'll treat patients with basically medications for diabetes, something like metformin, something like Actos. And then after that, the testosterone production from the ovaries goes down, which is really, really, really fantastic for the PCOS sufferer. Lots of times, though, that may not be enough because I see a lot of PCOS patients who are still on metformin or Actos and they still can't lose weight. They still can't conceive. They still have menstrual irregularities. So that's very important. Also, another little nugget is that researchers, this is a journal Diabetes 2014, they went in and they were actually able to genetically delete the insulin receptor from the ovaries. And they did this in mice and they found that the elevated testosterone production associated with insulin resistance went completely away. So it is an insulin mechanism that's largely driving the high testosterone. And once the high testosterone is going on, then that's where we get the other associated features of PCOS. And this relates back to Kathy's question and her niece who can't lose weight, because now you can kind of see the vicious cycles that are forming where we have maybe they got bacterial dysfunction from years of whatever. We could say the standard American diet, if you want to say it that way. And then as a result, we get the insulin resistance, which then is driving the ovaries to make too much testosterone. Now the body's turned on this cycle for it to keep going. Is it correctable? In my experience, yeah. Uh, and the literature supports this as well. In fact, uh, natural supplements like myo-inositol have gained a lot of attention and notoriety in the PCOS world. Myo-inositol is a, it's an insulin sensitizer, and it's being shown to normalize uh, menstrual cycle lengths in PCOS patients. It's also being observed to reduce inflammation. It's also being shown to help mental health and, and uh, PCOS patients. Another one that I mentioned already is berberine. Berberine was compared with metformin in a study out of the Clinical Journal of Clinical Endocrinology in 2014. And they took PCOS patients who are trying to conceive and they put one group on berberine. And again, berberine is this natural plant alkaloid. Basically, it's from a, a root that's seen in Asia and India. And they took this berberine product and they gave it to the PCOS patients. And they compared another group who was taking metformin. And they found that berberine produced more live bursts than metformin. Now, that's a huge, huge, huge statistic because metformin has been the gold standard for PCOS patients throughout time. And then they saw that berberine basically produced a better effect, and it's this natural substance. My take on it is that's well and good. Same thing with myonositol. It seems to help. We look at Gateswood Health at the patient as a whole. So we try to address every factor in that individual's physiology that we can naturally to help their body to resynchronize because 
individuals basically come to our office when they're tired of taking medications or they're frustrated or they're not getting the medical solutions that they desire. That's nothing against the medical community. Your doctors are good people. They're trying to help you. Um, we're all, you know, under a schedule and we're doing our best and we all have our paradigm. Well, this natural paradigm has a lot of credence when it pertains to PCOS. And so by addressing the whole individual, and I'm going to get into stress here shortly, um, that's where I found it can really, really benefit the PCOS sufferer. So we have to look at your stress levels. We have to look at exactly what is your diet. Because here I'm citing a study where they compare berberine to metformin, and berberine outperforms metformin for producing live bursts. Well, what if we change the individual's diet while doing the berberine, we're changing the diet to have an effect on the bacteria. We're doing fasting protocols, and then we're using other uh, treatments to calm down the inflammation to the thyroid. That's how we start putting it all together, as well as maybe frontal lobe exercises to shut off the stress for the PCOS sufferer. So that hopefully is painting the picture. Now, for you patients who are really frustrated with PCOS, I got to say one thing. So I've talked to a lot of doctors, and I... One kind of prevailing notion that I've seen, it's not all doctors, but some, uh, especially OBGYNs will say, well, you know, unless you're 300 pounds and you have a beard, I'm not really going to consider if you have PCOS. Now, that creates a lot of frustration or you may be a PCOS sufferer and your doctors are treating you, but they're, you feel like maybe they're not giving you enough attention. There's a great article out of Fertility and Sterility, Journal of Fertility and Sterility in 2017, where they talked about this because they basically said there's a lot of dissatisfaction amongst PCOS sufferers. And they found that 27% of OBGYNs didn't even know what criteria they were using for diagnosing PCOS. Now, as I mentioned before, the Rotterdam criteria is the gold standard criteria. Uh, that's the two out of the three symptoms. So if you have cysts on your ovaries, excessive testosterone or signs of like hair growth, or if you have abnormal menstrual cycle lengths, two out of those three, you fulfill the criteria for having PCOS. And like a third of the OBGYNs basically just said, if you have cysts on your ovaries, that means that you have PCOS, which is not really true. So they were talking about, we need greater awareness. This needs to be promoted. We need to talk about this more as a healthcare community. Um, and they did say the reproductive endocrinology OBGYNs seem to have a better grasp of the situation, which makes sense because PCOS is the most common cause of infertility. But just if you were wondering, that's not a knock against your doctors. That's just kind of the lay of the land because you have to understand your OBGYN is con dealing with a lot of serious health problems in their patient population. They're dealing with, you know, delivering babies, gynecological cancers. Those are at the top of their radar and something like PCOS, which has strong correlations to lifestyle, which makes them maybe think, you know, what are you doing on your end? Are you really trying to help yourself? That may be why some of the frustration is there. I always like to present both sides of the coin. It's not just one side. Um, patients aren't bad. Doctors aren't bad. We just need to look at really what's going on in the current climate. So that's basically how insulin resistance affects PCOS. Insulin resistance drives the ovaries to make too much testosterone. There is some discussion that insulin resistance causes the adrenal glands to make too much testosterone as well. If you haven't heard of the adrenal glands, the adrenal glands are an, a hormonal gland that sit on top of your kidneys. They really regulate blood pressure. They regulate cortisol secretion. You've heard of cortisol. Uh, they regulate other hormones, they make progesterone, and they make this product called DHEA. DHEA, so I'll say it slower, DHEA, is a precursor to testosterone in a lot of females. And they've 
seeing that insulin resistance can increase that DHEA production, but also maybe there are genetic components and also maybe there are stress components. Now on the genetic component issue, this is really interesting. So if you're, uh, let's say, you know, a 18 to middle-aged female who has PCOS, there's a recent study out of Journal of Clinical Endocrinology and Metabolism 2009. Actually, it's not that recent. But where they looked at the adrenal function of the offspring of PCOS patients, they found that they, the offspring even make too much testosterone when they're going through puberty. So something to be attentive in your kids if you have PCOS. All right, we'll talk about stress more after the break. Dr. Randall Gates, board-certified chiropractic neurologist. Call 833-DR-GATES, 833-DRGATES. I'm Dr. Randall Gates, board-certified chiropractic neurologist, also a chiropractic physician at Gateswood Health in Henderson, Nevada. Today we're talking about polycystic ovarian syndrome, known as PCOS. We've gone through insulin resistance now. We've gone through the nitty-gritty of the condition, some of the misunderstandings that a lot of individuals out there have, we'll say it that way. And now we're moving into the thin PCOS patient. Now, lots of times, as I mentioned earlier in the broadcast, these patients are the most confused because they come in and say, you know, I'm not overweight. I'm not obese. Like is talked about all, you know, throughout online. How do I have PCOS? What is going on? Now, I have seen thin PCOS patients who have insulin resistance, which is really interesting. How can you be thin and basically have insulin resistance? In my experience, it traces back to the gut bacterial issue. So you can even be thin and still have this gut bacterial issue that's aberrant. They're producing too much inflammation. And as a result, the individual is insulin resistant. So we still have to pay attention to this. But stress seems to be a major factor um, when looking at PCOS. Stress is something that I cited that journal article before. Stress is a major, major issue for a lot of PCOS patients. In fact, it's all throughout the literature now where they're talking about anxiety and depression states as it pertains to this condition. And the original thought was, well, you know, it's just because now we're looking at the entire PCOS population, not just thin ones. And they thought, okay, well, it's because, you know, they're gaining weight. They can't lose the weight, like Kathy called in with her niece. And they're frustrated. They're depressed and anxious because they can't conceive a baby. And this is what they want to do in this time of life. And the researchers have actually shown that's not the case. It doesn't appear to be those psychological factors that's driving the anxiety and depression. It more seems to be a physiological response. And these individuals, even anger, anger is talked a lot about in the PCOS population. It was just, you know, it's natural to say or to think, well, you know, PCOS patients may have more irritability and anger issues because their testosterone is high. And that's actually not true either. So researchers have really delved into these issues to make sure that that's not really the case. Now, to understand stress and maybe how stress is affecting PCOS and someone who is more thin, we have to understand the stress response. So you have a fear center in your brain. It's called the amygdala. And the fear center is there to sense danger. It's there to sense scary situations. And you can say uh, in our society, we're kind of primed to be under stress. One of my favorite books is by a gentleman named Robert Sapolsky. The book is called Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. Actually, in fact, they do get ulcers, as he talks about. But in this book, he goes through how 
he studied primates in Africa, this one baboon culture, I believe. And he really looks to see how, uh, how the hierarchy functions. There, there are baboons that are really high in the totem pole and then, you know, like your alpha male. And then there are the guys lowest on the totem pole. And the guys lowest on the totem pole have tons of stress hormones. They have all the signs of heart disease. I mean, these baboons, they're not eating Big Macs, folks. And they have heart disease. It's because of all the stress hormones that they're under. And he goes into great length and in how this really affects human physiology. So when we're under chronic stress, when we're in this chronic state of fight or flight, these chronic demands, it causes our amygdala to send too many signals via hardwired mechanisms for our body and the sympathetic nervous system as it's termed, think fight, flight, and then also hormonal responses from the brain's pituitary gland down to the adrenal glands. Again, the adrenal glands are that stress gland, you can think of them that way, that sits on top of your kidney. And these hormones from the brain telling the adrenal gland to make more hormones like cortisol can be highly, highly, highly important for the PCOS sufferer. So just kind of simmer on that for a second. So if you're in this chronic state of fight or flight, then that can lead to higher levels of cortisol. And for the thin PCOS patient, what's being discussed now is how these stress responses are leading to excessive production of testosterone derivatives from the adrenal glands. So the adrenal glands, think of like, a, think of a basketball. And out of this basketball, we have cortisol, we have 17-hydroxyprogesterone, we have a chemical called aldosterone, which is important for blood sugar regulation. Like if you cut your arm off, your aldosterone goes up. And then also DHEA. So what they're finding is that individuals who are in this chronic stress state will produce too much DHEA. This was shown in a journal, Psychoneuroendocrinology 2018. Um, very, very big deal because they saw that it was the stress that was doing it. So if you're a PCOS patient and you're watching your diet and you're doing all these things, you can't lose weight, kind of going back to Kathy's question Maybe something you want to consider are what is your background level of stress? And a lot of individuals will say, well, I'm not stressed. I'm not stressed because in today's society, we have to be stoic, meaning we have to be unemotional about our stress. If you talk about how stressed you are, lots of times it falls on deaf ears. People really don't care. They may be empathetic, but what are they going to do for your stress levels? You know, your life is what your life is. You got kids. You don't have kids. You have a busy job. You have all these demands, you know, and so a lot of people kind of just keep that stress internally. And if you're becoming more irritable, more angry, developing some anxiety and depression, definitely something to look at in terms of stress. And in fact, this whole stress response is called the HPA axis, hypothalamo-pituitary-adrenal axis, where this is this stress response. And they find that in conditions like anxiety and depression, this stress response actually stays turned on. And through time, the high levels of cortisol from the adrenal glands actually feed back and further damage the areas of your brain that keep the fear center, the stress center in check, which are the frontal lobes and the memory area termed the hippocampus. So that's how we can create this chronic sustained stress response and balances physiology can affect hormones like for a condition like polycystic ovarian syndrome. And then also lead to other components of depression and anxiety. And the depression and anxiety in PCOS seems to have an inflammatory component as well. So that's really, really important for you PCOS sufferers because you're wondering. They're even looking at now uh, using omega-3s, for example, and vitamin E, treating PCOS patients with those because they're kind of anti-inflammatory. And researchers are finding good results for PCOS patients in terms of their mental health, their, their health-related quality of life. That's the term in the literature. So kind of interesting. Uh, again, there's 
within the models of treating patients, you have the medical model, which I've gone through for PCOS. There's the functional neurology, functional medicine model, which is what I'm going through, getting to the underlying root cause of the problem. If that's what you want, that's what we're talking about. But then there's the also the alternative medicine model, which is, okay, well, there are these studies on supplements, so I'm going to give you a supplement like uh, someone else would give you a drug because there's evidence that that supplement will help you. And that's a model unto itself, and it's a fine model for a lot of individuals. Uh, but again, it's kind of a Band-Aid approach. My question is, why do you have inflammation in your system? You know, why is that going on? Why are you so stressed out? What is going on in your lifestyle? What happened earlier in life? Do we need to refer you to a psychologist to talk about some of those things? Or is it just current circumstances? Or is it purely now a neurochemical problem, neurochemistry in your brain, and an imbalance in your frontal lobes and your memory area, allowing the stress response to just keep going unabated? So that's very, very important for the thin PCOS patient. And uh, again, if you have any questions, go ahead and give us a, a call, 702-733-5968. And uh, we're going to keep going. Now I'm going to talk a little bit about Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Hashimoto's thyroiditis was a big element of our discussion last week. Hashimoto's thyroiditis is where the immune system starts to kill the thyroid gland. And it's a very prevalent condition. It is the most common cause as to why individuals have low thyroid function. And there's a big overlap between Hashimoto's thyroiditis and polycystic ovarian syndrome. Researchers have really been looking into this relationship. Some research articles have found that upwards of 43% of PCOS patients have immune cells to their thyroid at too high of a rate. Now, I just want to give you all the facts. Some research articles say 26%. A lot of it depends on your criteria for what constitutes Hashimoto's and what doesn't. So it's just like cholesterol. The high value used to be 270 when I was a child. Now it's 200. Now they're looking at backing it down even farther. Lab values change throughout time. Same thing with diabetes. Uh, we could go into that. But when it pertains to this immune attack on the thyroid, referred to as Hashimoto's thyroiditis, uh, it depends on the criteria you're using, but it's somewhere between about 30% and about 43% of PCOS patients have Hashimoto's. Now, this is really important because when you look at the Hashimoto symptoms, you know, are you overweight? Are you losing hair? Are you constipated? Are you constantly cold, feeling tired and sluggish? Do you have some depression? Because the immune attack against the thyroid can affect blood flow into the brain, into the frontal lobes particularly, which is where our positive emotions come from. That's where we think from. Do you have brain fog? And so that's uh, one important piece, and Hashimoto's in and of itself can cause weight gain too. So all these factors have to be addressed. If you're a PCOS patient, you haven't been checked for Hashimoto's, you got to get checked for Hashimoto's. You need to have your thyroid antibodies run. Talk to your doctor about that. And the researchers have been asking the question, why? Why is PCOS so overlapping with Hashimoto's? And why Hashimoto's is the second most common cause of infertility in our society? So number one is PCOS, number two is Hashimoto. So it's pretty important to pay attention to these two variables if you're having trouble conceiving or keeping a child to full term. And so with Hashimoto's, they're finding that it increases this hormone called anti-mullerian hormone, AMH. So increased anti-mullerian hormone can be associated with inability to conceive. Now, anti-mullerian hormone is a hormone 
I'm first going to go through males. Uh, it actually helps a, a developing fetus that's going to be a male not to have female reproductive organs. But anti-malarian hormone is also involved in a female when she's ovulating. So think of the ovaries as a pool. And then we have a bunch of little balls in the pool that are the eggs. And the ovary is trying to pick the most fit egg at that point to release. And so anti-malarian hormone is heavily involved in that. I'll go into that in greater detail after the break. Uh, thank you for listening. Dr. Randall Gates, board-certified chiropractic neurologist at Gates Way to Health in Henderson, Nevada. You can call us 833-DR-GATES, 833-DR-GATES, G-A-T-E-S, for free consultation. One more seminar this uh, Saturday on fibromyalgia if you're interested. We're out at 2850 West Horizon Ridge Parkway in Henderson. Uh, we'll be after the break, be back after the break, talking more about Hashimoto's and this relationship to the ovaries. Dr. Randall Gates, board-certified chiropractic neurologist, chiropractic physician at Gates Way to Health in Henderson, Nevada. Today we're talking about polycystic ovarian syndrome. We've gone through insulin resistance. We've gone through stress. We've gone through foods. We've gone through the thyroid a little bit. We're going to get into the thyroid a little bit more. But now we have a... So, you know, that illuminates a good point for all of you PCOS sufferers out there. There is the medical model. It's not wrong. It is what it is. If that's the model you want, take it. Fantastic. And most of you are exposed to that model as a first-line approach versus more the alternative model, which is what people stumble into once they have been suffering for a while. Now, as I was talking about, think of the ovaries as a pool with a bunch of balls in it, these little basketball-like things. And so the ovary is trying to choose which which fall, basically which egg is going to be the best egg. And it does that by using anti-mullerian hormone. But if you have too much anti-mullerian hormone, you're actually not going to take a basketball out of the pool. So that's important for you to get because AMH, they're trying to promote as the new blood test for polycystic ovarian syndrome because AMH, anti-mullerian hormone, goes up in polycystic ovarian syndrome. And so when you hear some people say, well, only 6% of females have PCOS. That's based on using AMH as the criteria, not the Rotterdam criteria, which again is the cysts on the ovaries, the high testosterone, and the abnormal menstrual cycle lengths. What we're finding is that the AMH increases in Hashimoto's disease. That's the key factor now. They're thinking as to why so many Hashimoto's thyroiditis patients have trouble conceiving and have infertility. And the AMH has also increased in polycystic ovarian syndrome. And it's maybe thought that the inflammation with PCOS has something to do with that. But that's a big, big relationship. So if you're a PCOS sufferer, you're probably going to hear in the coming decade where it's being pushed as a national policy to use AMH as the diagnosis or the, the gold standard diagnosis for this condition. Because basically the way the healthcare system is, everything's going towards the test. Because doctors have less time, so we just need a test, yes or no, black or white see you later. And that's how it's just transforming that way. That's why I talk about fibromyalgia. There's no one test for it, but it has a ton of validity. And so that's kind of the story on anti-mullerian hormones. So how we approach a patient at Gateway to Health with these issues is we do a full 
diagnostic workup. That diagnostic workup includes a neurological exam, but we actually do a lot of eye movement testing where we're trying to see how the brain is functioning because if your frontal lobes are impaired because of the chronic stress response, we're going to actually put you through frontal lobe rehab to start strengthening these areas to make them stronger so they can shut off the fear center. At the same time, using certain supplements to shut off that fear response so we can get you more into that rest and digest tranquil state all the time so the stress hormones can go down. The stress hormones go down. Now we actually have the chance to go into your gastrointestinal tract and start working with it because this is a factor that so many people miss in functional medicine. They're changing diets. They're giving berberine. They're giving myonosol. Again, that's more the alternative medicine slant. It's not addressing the cause of the problem because I did that. And I had a lot of patients who didn't get the best outcomes because we didn't fix their stress levels. So you got to get those stress levels under check. And then we do a lot of detailed specialized testing where I can actually say with a high degree of certainty, okay, how severe is your leaky gut? Or what is your cortisol rhythm throughout the day? What is happening? Is it really high in the morning? Is it really high in the evening? Let's try and change these cortisol rhythms to help your adrenal glands not produce too many stress hormones. So I hope you found this helpful. Again, you can call 833-DR-GATES, G-A-T-E-S, 833-DR-GATES for a free consultation. We're here in Henderson, Nevada. Really appreciate you listening. One more seminar on fibro today, fibromyalgia at 10 a.m. We'll be back next week. We're going to be talking about diabetes next week. Diabetes kind of overlaps with this. But uh, if you have any questions, go ahead and give us a call. And uh, really appreciate you listening. Take good care.